Tina, welcome to the Inspiring Leadership Podcast. Thank you for having me, David. Good morning. Good morning. So where should we start? I, I love starting with stories, um, and I'd love to hear your story of you moving from the original technical role that you had into this current role of leadership. Take us through the story, because it's a good story. I've never really thought of that as a story, to be honest, or something that's you know been a big part of my mindset. It's just something that's happened. And if I'm really honest, I don't think I've ever thought of myself as a leader. But people tell me I am, so I'm just going to go with it for you. All right. <laughs> I think about it right back from the beginning that I remember feeling like I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. And I mean that with respect to the work I was doing with clients. It always felt like there was something else and I didn't know what that thing was. And I'd been a tired advisor and an independent financial advisor and mortgage broker. And none of them really felt like I was delivering the sort of help to people that I wanted to. I had that feeling for quite a long time. And then one day in 2009, I came across life planning by meeting George Kinder at an IFP meeting. And that really was a light bulb moment for me. I'd only recently, just, just before that, discovered financial planning. And when I discovered life planning, it, it just made sense and it made all the pieces fit together. And since then, I have just been following that passion, that that belief that this really makes a difference. And that is probably the whole part of the story, just following what really made sense to me. And because I was steadfast on that, I think, I've not changed my view on that in what, 12 years now and 11 years now. And so for me, what's happened as a consequence is that people have come to me because they also believe the same thing. And I've ended up with people you know, within my organisation and also as, a, as part of a wider community. I ended up being part of a community where everyone believes that our role in this, in this world, in this financial services world, is to really make a difference to people. And I'm not advocating that everyone should feel like that. There are you know, varying degrees of the role that, these, that we can deliver to people. But for me, it was absolutely all about making a difference. And that's what I followed. And I've ended up where I am without any you know, defined plan at outset. This, it was just about building a business that helped people. And this is where I find myself. So a lot of the websites that I see, Tina, all over the country, throughout the whole um, financial advisory community a lot of them say we make a difference how how specific can you be to help us understand the difference you feel you're making and, and how that works yeah it's, it's a tricky one because everybody thinks that they're different I guess um, and no one knows for sure if they are all I know is I get to feel the reactions from the people sitting in front of me I get to see the difference it makes to their lives. And that's without taking away from anything anybody else is doing. It, this is, I find a lot of people in our space are always comparing 
Um, and often causing themselves quite a lot of angst by doing that because they feel they need to do a certain thing or be a certain way. And for me, it's just been about following my heart, what's important to me, and feeling that I'm doing the best that I can do, that my team can do the best that they can do, that we're continually developing and being better, better versions of ourselves, better able to serve the people in front of us. So I can only, when I say we, we make a difference, I'm basing it on us and our work rather than comparing it with anybody else. Got it. So if I were to come in and talk to your team, um, and say, well, put your finger on this thing that helps you make a greater difference. What is this thing? Relationship. Absolutely. It's about relationship. The relationship that we build with our clients, the relationship we have with each other, and because of these skills that we've developed around relationship, actually what we found is that it then ripples out into external relationships, relationships with our families, with our communities, with everybody around us. So if you had to, if I had to put my finger on one thing, absolutely, it's relationship. And, and so what you found is the skills that we, we label life planning or lifestyle planning, whatever it is, like coaching within the financial services sector, that's been one of the skill sets that's helped you, each of you develop a quality relationship or is this something else? It's probably quite broad, actually, you know, developing a skill set that enables you to build deep and meaningful relationships covers several aspects. And as you know, my, I, I started off with life planning and learning that, but I've expanded into a much broader coaching aspect of this work. And, you know, I've realised actually quite recently, probably just in the last year or two, that there's a big part of coaching and learning how to coach that is sometimes missed when people start to go down this route. They might you know, attend a coaching course or a program that talks about how to engage with people, how to ask the right sorts of questions, how to listen effectively, how to use pauses, and that's all fantastic but I realised that there was a piece missing and it was, the, it was a fundamental piece. And for me, that's the work and the development that the advisor or the coach does on themselves. And I really believe that, that you have to do that first. You have to really understand yourself. You have to be able to notice what's going on for you at the time of a client interaction, but also before and after. You have to be able to notice what emotions are coming up for you and be able to attend to yourself in a way that means you are able to sit in front of that client with no agenda, no preconceptions, no judgments, no assumptions. And that's not easy. That is a skill that can be learned. You know, and sometimes, David, people say to me, oh, but it's all right for you. You're a woman, it's easier for women to do this. And I don't agree with that. I think the, the determining factor on whether or not you can do this work comes down to desire. Do you want to be that sort of person? 
And I fully accept that some people aren't that way inclined. That's not what really fires them up. But for me, it was so important to be that person that had the skills to be able to engage with that person in front of me at a much deeper level. And I knew to be able to do that, I had to work on myself first. So help me understand how that applies to your leadership, uh, Tina. It's difficult to ask that question, I think, to me. And you might get a better answer asking my team because you never really know how it looks from the other side. You know, I ask and I get really good answers, but you never know for sure, do you? But I guess from my point of view, if I can be skilled in my own behaviours, if I could really understand the impact of my behaviours on people around me, then I think you cannot help but be a better leader. Well, that's what I'm hoping anyway. I hope that isn't a story I've just made up, but it, it certainly makes sense, doesn't it, that if you are able to deal with whatever comes up for you. So you know, I have a very, I like to think a very gentle way of working with people in my team. I don't think I've ever really had friction, frictionless, frictionful conversations or, you know, and I guess in every organisation there are difficult conversations to be had sometimes. But I always try to look at it from the other person's point of view and I never, I never wield power in a way that I think isn't effective. I don't know how to explain that any better, but I definitely view the way we work in Serenity as a collaboration, very much about encouraging everybody there to help us drive this business forward, to help us do the best that we can do for clients. And I feel really proud that I can be at the helm, but I hope that you know the way I... I don't know why I'm scared of using the word lead, <laughs> but I hope that the way I lead inspires people to also be leaders. Now, I'm not here to be the one in charge. I'm here to create leaders. I'm here to bring people up to make everybody else be the best that they can be. So we are a team of leaders. And that's what makes me really happy, being able to see people within the team develop and and find their own abilities and and passions and and what they're good at. I love that. So that seems to be a a big theme emerging from these conversations for me, Tina. Um, If I was to observe you and your team working over a period of a month, say June of 2020, what are you doing that is causing them to become leaders of the future or better leaders today? How do you go about doing that? Because that's quite a Yeah, I'm not sure anybody's actually viewing themselves in that role. I'd like to think they are, but I'm not sure anyone is saying, you know, I'm on a path to leadership, but I hope that they all feel empowered in their own skills and their own contributions, and therefore the, the end product of that is going to be that we have some really good leaders within the team. Remind me of the question, was it what was I doing to help people to become leaders themselves, the, the leaders of the future, because eventually one day you'll be stepping aside or gradually winding down one day. Well, another thing I've realised recently is that I'm not sure my business is going to be the sort of business that 
I would be happy to sell. You know, certainly wouldn't, you know, I'd need to find someone that would be happy to carry on doing what we've been doing. And I don't know if I'd be able to do that. So I've decided that the, you know, the best way for me to ever step down or slow down is to build my own succession plan from within. So mm-hmm. a lot of talking to you now and looking at bringing into the business is with a view to them slowly, slowly being, you know, rising up and taking over so that I can take a step back at some point. So, yeah, building a team, you know, building my own succession plan within the firm is really quite exciting as well because it's great to see people come in and step up and step into those roles that maybe they would never have been able to do otherwise. Right. So would you mind sharing with us the structure of, of, of Serenity, how you structure this thing so that this can begin to happen? What's it look like today? Well, I have to be truthful here. So, you know, Serenity was never designed with that in mind. Serenity was never de- designed with, you know, 20 or 30 years in the future in mind. In, you know, if I could go back and start again, maybe it would. But at the time, it was just about creating a business that delivered a service, um, a relationship that made a difference to people. And at the same time, I built a team where we all work together, believe the same thing, our values were aligned. That's where I started out. There wasn't this great big game plan that I've always followed. It sort of adjusted along the way. And along the way, what I found is that if I can get really good people in to work with me, and people who already believe what I believe, then I've sort of got a ready-made team that that, is ha- that wants to move forward with me. Yeah. Now, started you know, right from scratch. A massive consideration for me was cash flow, and I remember when I was taking on, on a lot of self-employed advisors at the time. Everyone was very critical of that. At the time, it felt to me that it was one of the few options I had available to me. I started from scratch. I had no clients. I didn't have a presence. And if people were aligned with me and they could come in and be able to contribute to that cash flow, it really did feel to me like it was a step forward and a way to grow. One of the things I was very conscious of, though, was bringing in self-employed advisors but in a way where everybody worked in the same way. And that has place from day one. There was never almost mini businesses within the business. We've always been one business. We've always worked in the same way. We've always tried to deliver as close as possible um, a replicable, replicable service to clients. I've always felt that if a client goes to see one of my advisors in the north of England, they'll get a very similar service than if they came to see me or one of the other advisors. And that the delivery of that service is also consistent. You know, we've we've had a centralised investment proposition for as long as I can remember. It's never been a case where, you know, advisors can pick their own random funds. You know, that's just a recipe for disaster. So we, we set those things up so that they're almost automated so that we can all focus on the relationship piece 
And a lot of the work that we do within the Serenity, the advisors and often the support team as well is around developing our skills, constantly developing our skills around that piece. Because I don't think you can ever be a finished product when it comes to a coach or um, a life planner or a a relationship creator. So the structure really has evolved over time itself. Now our advisors, you know, we have employed and self-employed advisors. We have centralised administration. It's a very different business to how it started out. So in that evolving, um, my, my sense is that you would then have to evolve personally in the way that you started to suggest you, you grow because what you have now is not what you had when you started. So the person that started this can't possibly have stayed the same. So how have you changed? How have you found that you had to change to become, whether you like it or not, a leader of people? You know, you, you can't, I can't be more true, David. I am a completely different person and also the same person as I was when I started on this journey. I feel like I have been on a massive journey personally and I can actually feel the changes that have happened. If I look back to the sort of person that I was, I still had the fire and I still had the ambition and I still wanted to build something of value. But what I didn't have was the resilience. What I didn't have was the calm. What I didn't have was the ability to see the impact of my own behaviours. And that's something that is always still evolving. No one can ever truly say that. It's it's a work in progress. But I I feel like I'm in a much stronger, certainly mental position than I ever was before. It's hard these days to really rock me. If you think about all the things that have been happening in our world, I would have reacted in a very different way a few years ago. And one of the one of the byproducts, I think, of going down this path and developing yourself to be a really good coach, life planner, financial planner, um, relationship creator, is that you get the benefit of becoming a better person. I feel like I'm a better person anyway, and it's been, you know, a long journey. I'm constantly looking at myself and what I can do differently. You know, when I came to this way of working, I remember being very resistant to just the concept, for example, of meditation. It didn't sound like something that didn't have a place in our world. I resisted it for a long time. But when I relaxed and opened to it and saw the science behind it as well and realised that this is actually something that can change the physical structure of my brain and put me in a better position to be able to deal with the things that life throws at me. It suddenly then became something very useful and meaningful and something that has made a difference to me and then rippled out into all the other areas of my life as well. You know, resilience can't be underrated. You know, resilience is what gets us through the really tough times. Right. Because we have tough times, whether you know we can't plan our lives so well that we never have tough times, but it's about how we react to them, how we deal with them, and more importantly, 
what story we tell ourselves in our head when we're going through those tough times. Because most of the suffering that we all go through, unfortunately, is self-inflicted because of the worry and the anxiety and the stress that we call us, cause ourselves by creating a narrative around this thing that's happened. And often it's just our way of seeing it. And when I realized that that was a choice and I can change the narrative, the power around that is unbelievable. So you changing, how do you think that's helped you to develop your people around you? These changes you talk about. So here's where I'm coming. Here's the context that, that's affecting me in our conversation, Tina. So I'm imagining there are, you know, a number of people watching this, maybe 50, 100, 1,000, who knows, 10. It doesn't matter. But, but they're either aspiring to be better leaders or they're aspiring to be leaders for the first time in their life. They're moving, perhaps to form their own business, and they know they're going to have to recruit people. And all of a sudden, the world changes, and you've been through that. So that's the context I'm imagining. Changing you and going through conscious processes of change, I wonder how that influences who you can draw to you and how you help them develop. I like to think that this, you know, my collaborative way of working is at the essence of that. I have no problem with anyone in my team coming to me and telling me that I've done something that they don't agree with. That if there's something that, that people are not happy with, we talk about it. I also have no problem asking the opinion of people that I work with. And I have no problem saying, I'm not sure how to deal with this particular thing. What do you think? I always talk to people as equals, never as if they were below me. I've never felt that that is important in an organisation. I want people to feel part of the team and to really understand their value and their worth and their contribution. So I've tried really to be, you know, on a different level than I've seen other leaders behave and react because I want the best out of my people and I want them to feel good. I want them to come to work and be happy that they're coming to work. I want them to feel that they're part of a bigger thing that we're doing, that they really are part of it. It's not just me at the top because everyone knows my face, but that they're all really important pieces of this puzzle, this thing that we're trying to achieve. We're trying to achieve it together. And I've never really viewed it as me and them. It's always just been us all together. Yeah, that's fascinating. So in all of these conversations that I'm having, and um, to be honest, Tina, I think that's obviously I'm not learning most from all of this um, because each of you just drops in these pearls. I thought I understood that. I didn't. The subject that keeps coming up is the subject of culture and the various different views I'm getting from each of you on, on what you feel about creating a culture um, and, what, and how, how we see that there is a culture. How do we see a culture? So I just wonder what thoughts and views, because clearly there's no right way here, but what thoughts and views you have on creating a culture and look, this is our culture. Yeah, I think culture is so important in so many organisations and where people are not aligned where there isn't a culture of, you know, teamwork, of, 
leadership is important, but it's how it's delivered. So it needs to be part of the culture. Um, it's, I think it's the culture that defines the organisation and how they move forward. And I guess for me, the, the piece around culture has always been important. If nothing else, you know, David, I don't really want to work with people that I don't like, don't like me. How could that possibly be fun for anybody? So if we're going to spend as much time as we do at work, then I'd like it to be with a team of people that all gets it and all wants to be part of a team where, you know, we almost have our own internal community that supports each other and works together. But right from the beginning, I've been sharing my my vision with people, where we want to go with the company. I think I've probably um, repeated the, the vision over and over so many times that I'd like to think that the others could do the same. At every team meeting, I say our vision is to bring financial life planning to as many people as possible so they can live a life of freedom without worrying about money and at the same time build a stable business that supports and motivates everyone that works in it. Wow. If I asked each member of your team, would they be that clear? Embarrassed. That'd be such a pressure point, wouldn't it? Uh, would they remember it? They certainly put it enough times, but whether or not they repeat it out loud, like I do in my sleep, who knows? <laughs> so just run past that again, because there seem to be three parts to that. Two. To share that. Two parts, okay. I'll be yeah. to share that again. The difference we make to our clients, we want them to, to live a life of freedom. So much of the constrictions that we feel in life, I feel, come from our own narrative, our own thoughts and our own emotions. And a lot of them revolve around money and our relationship with money. And if we can help people understand that better, make better decisions and have a better relationship with money, I think that's where the freedom piece comes in. You can't really live a life of freedom if you don't look at what's blocking you and be able to work through them. And it's hard to work through those blocks if you don't have someone that can guide you through that. That's our mission, to help people live a life of freedom without worrying about money. We can't deliver that. We can't deliver on our promises to our clients if we don't have a stable, profitable, happy business. And that's the two parts of the vision. Stable, profitable, happy. So I'm one of your viewers or, or listeners to this podcast, and I'd love to become a more inspiring leader. Can you help me understand, I'm just ask two questions before we conclude. What are the greatest challenges you, you feel you've faced as you've moved from becoming the financial planner, including life planning, to becoming, whether you like it or not, we talked about before, oh golly, I'm a leader of people, not just... Um, a leader of projects and, and processes. What are the greatest challenges you face in making that transition, that journey? Yeah, if, if I think of you know a point in back in time where I wasn't in this position, and how I, how I moved from that position to this, it was like I said, it certainly wasn't anything that was planned or defined, but there was a lot of work I had to do on myself. Just something as simple as, for example, being too delegate. <laughs> it's really hard to be a visionary and drive the business forward if you're still being bogged down by so much 
stuff. And that was a big piece for me, actually. I remember when I first started being coached, my coach said that was that was my first blocker. He said, welcome to your first blocker, not, you know, feeling like you have to do it all yourself. So, you know, we've been working through that over the last few years. And it's quite empowering, actually, to be able to take that and be able to hand it to someone else and say, I trust you to do that. I am happy for you to take on that role. I am confident that you can do that. It's hard when you're going from someone who's done it all themselves to then passing the baton on to someone else. Start initially just with tiny things, but then also big things. I, know, I remember when Tom, who works with me, he's a financial planner, financial life planner in Serenity. He started about two and a half years ago. And his job initially was just to support me and my clients. And I, I thought that it would take quite a while for me to transition to the point where Tom could see my clients without me. And there was a bit of, you know, as soon as we started working together and I realized that he had the same mindset, that he understood what I was trying to do, what we were trying to do in Serenity, it just made life so much easier. And, and I think that's how a business grows once you realize that you've got a team around you that you can start handing over jobs, responsibilities, every aspect of the business. You know, and I'm not saying that you know, I've handed over everything, but if I think back to what I did just a few years ago, I have a very different life now and it means I've got the headspace to be able to think about where this business is going and really drive it forward rather than being bogged down with so much of the stuff that took my time and I think took away my creativity. You know, I think if you're at the helm of a business, you know, the sort of person that takes that position really relies on their creativity. And if that is squashed by everything else that needs to go on, it's really hard to, to live into that. So, you know, the journey for me has been about developing myself in a way that makes it easy for me to bring in other people. The biggest challenge for me has been finding the right people. It's still a challenge. I know, you know, we, we had someone handing their notice a couple of weeks ago and, you know, I've been trying to interview over, you know, so many interviews in the last week or so. And it's hard to find people that know about this way of working, that understand this way of working, that want to go down this route. But when you do find them, it's just magic. How do, they, how do you find them? How do, how do they come to you? It's been a challenge, to be honest with you, David, over the years. Um, everyone that's come to me so far, um, including advisors, They've literally come to me because, I don't know, they've seen me speak somewhere or read an article, um, and they've come directly to me, which is fantastic. But I think now we're at the position where we're growing too fast and we need to go out and look for people, and that's much harder. And I've, you know, I've even been talking to recruitment consultants recently, trying to really explain to them who we are and how we are how we work so that they can find these people. And yeah, they're not doing a bad job so far. It is hard. I've been a recruitment consultant for about six years. So 
yeah, it is tough. So why don't you conclude today with your hopes for the future as, as a leader, given the fact that from time to time you find space to be creative and visionary. Um, how do you hope the future will be for this particular profession? Oh, I have such big hopes for us, David, and I'm so excited by it. I've been saying for the last few years we're at a point of maximum opportunity, and I'm still saying it. I truly believe that there isn't another profession like ours that can make such a difference, that can be so transformative in their work. And for those people who think that this is about money, it isn't. It really isn't. My hope is that more and more people will see that actually the money is secondary to this role. This role is about helping people, full stop. And our job is to upskill in a way that we've never done before. You know, we've, we're all technically qualified, but not many people take the time to develop themselves and build on that skill set, which is about creating relationships building relationships, maintaining relationships, being that trusted advisor where that person sitting in front of you feels safe enough to be able to share whatever's coming up for them and you are skilled and comfortable enough with the uncertainty that that brings to be able to help them and guide them through whatever is coming up for them. That's how people make better decisions. That's how people have better lives and that's how people have better outcomes on every aspect of their life. It's not entirely new, but it's new to a lot of people in our profession. And my hope is that more and more people will discover this way of working and choose to develop themselves and upskill their own um, behaviours, their own skill sets, so that they can be as effective as they can be and serve. I feel like our job is to serve. And we can do it better when we develop ourselves and be able to deal with whatever comes up for our clients. This has been fascinating. Well, I know I'm keeping you away from your role of leadership, but it seems to me, Tina, in all seriousness, that the, the messages we're sending out today through you, just on this podcast, is part of your leadership role. So I'm just imposing this upon you, that, that this, is, this is influential. If anybody listens to it, it will influence them in one way or another. They can't have a neutral feeling about what you've just said. So in that sense, my view is this is part of your leadership to say these things out loud and hopefully have the biggest audience possible. So I'm feeling a bit privileged. Um, so thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Inspire Leadership Podcast. Thank you for sharing you as well as your ideas. Thank you, Tina Weeks.